Hello and welcome to Bigfoots of Michigan. Today we are in Escanaba, Michigan, meeting up with married couple Kim and John. Kim and John have both had their own individual Sasquatch sightings. So we are sitting down with them and getting their stories. So stay tuned for more of Bigfoots of Michigan. to Escanaba. Uh, Kim, you and I have been talking on the phone now for about three months, right. and uh, you have some great encounters to tell us about. And then through that, we found out that John had an encounter on his own and actually kind of jump-started this whole thing. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, once again, thanks for letting us come up here to Escanaba, and uh, yeah, let's get to it. Okay. Hey, Kim, all right, now we're talking to you. I mean, three months on the phone listening to your stories, your encounters, and I just said to myself, you know, I gotta get Kim on camera for an episode. Um, you have so much knowledge, so much information, and this is really gonna help put Michigan on the map when it comes to Sasquatch. So uh, yeah, jump into it, thanks. Well, it started with my husband sharing about his sighting back in the 70s, and um, so it was an interest, and I'm a wildlife person. I'm a biologist, educated biologist. You know, I teach high school, or I did, and um, birder, so out in the woods all the time. And so anyways, I it interests me, and I was homesick for a period of time, so I started watching Monster Quest. Okay, oh, and great show. that was really intriguing. So we decided that we attend Michigan Magazine's um, Bigfoot Conference okay. back in 2009 or 2010. I can't remember what year it was. And that was that was fascinating, and the first one was good, but the second one we went to the next year, we had already met some people, and okay. I had connected with a guy named Bob Daigle, who wrote, um, he has a synopsis of a number of different sightings in Michigan. And so I connected with him, and then I was helping him with research in northern Michigan, because he's in the Detroit area. Okay. Um, and so that's kind of how it all got started, and John and I would go out on these little treks. People would, Bob would contact us, and we'd go out and meet the people. Um, and then when I did a final exam mm -hmm. in science, and kids were able to pick anything during the entire year that they wanted to focus on, and I had a kid, because I used, I used 
is Bigfoot real for scientific method? Oh, okay. Cool. I know, cool. right? It was cool. It was fun. And so the kid wanted to do that. And I said, okay. I, he said, can I talk about Bigfoot? I'm like, no, but you could, because we don't know if they're real, right? At right. that point. And, but you can go at it from scientific method. So I told him, I got him the contact information of Caroline Curtis from the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. He contacted her. I said, call or text her, email, not text, email her and see if she can help you out. Uh -huh. And so she emailed back and she thought it was so cool that I would let him do a final project on that. So she invited us to the, um, an expedition in Northern Michigan, up, oh, in, up in the Upper Peninsula. Neat. And so I'm like, can I bring my husband? <laughs> <laughs> and so we came together and we had so much fun. Um, and there, there were, we went on, on this expedition. It was a great time. We had some experiences, but we didn't have any sightings at the first one that we went to. Um, but we did hear some river crossing that was really unusual. Okay. Um, and of course, I'm out there with people I don't know because John was with other people. But other people had seen them. So that was our first experience. Okay. And then we went to another, um, because I had studied, I like to know what I'm gonna face. And so I looked up as much information as I could okay. and I got familiar with stick structures. Oh. And so I was able to recognize them in the woods and follow them to like food sources or water sources or you know sometimes it's just like a teepee for whatever or maybe it's a blind, they'll build some kind of a blind. and the people from BFRO were pretty, I hate to say impressed, but that's what, they were impressed with it. And okay. so they offered me uh, an opportunity to come on board. And that's how, the only way you get into the BFRO is if you are invited. Okay, cool. And so I started doing investigations with them. Awesome. Um, but we've had, we had some great encounters and I think John shared a little bit. One of the, um, one of the expeditions at night when John was talking about the flashlight thing, it was, you could see eye shine up a hill and you're seeing the eyes and then it would turn sideways and you would literally see like a flashlight effect. I mean, it was like, oh, wow, wow. Yeah, a light beam. And it was, I got chills thinking about this, but it wasn't just, uh, we, I was in a group, so it wasn't just me seeing it, it was other people seeing it and other people who had had similar experiences. And so we had a lot of different, small experiences there let's say just okay. but didn't necessarily see anything other than at a distance in the dark so that was that well one of the um i forgot to share i forgot one. Oh, that's okay okay so when we were at do you want to just go there yeah when we were at mayo at michigan magazine they had this whole thing set up um there was a guy who was doing research on a pod of them or whatever you want to call them and um, he would set up, he set up a trail behind Michigan Magazine that had all these little things that, that Sasquatches would do, like put big rocks up in a tree or I don't remember everything. Stick that was structures. There. Stick structures. Such, yeah. yeah, and um, that particular, the last one we were at, which I think was 2010, um, we were back in that trail, you know, and we were walking with people back in the woods and I found a print that was a juvenile print. It oh, wasn't wow. It wasn't real big. I think it was about, it wasn't the five inch one, but it was about seven or eight inches. It was smaller than normal. It was the okay. smallest one that they'd ever seen. Okay. And so we casted it, you know, and then 
we'd meet afterwards and we'd sit and talk about the day and we'd gone out on our own little expeditions through with different groups of people and stuff. Well, everybody went home <laughs> and John went into the camper. We decided to stay an extra night and we had had some encounters, which I'll let John talk about, but we had had some encounters over time there okay. over a couple of nights, but he went in the camper to get us a snack and everybody else was gone. So I'm sitting outside at the awning, uh, under the awning of the camper, and I'm looking and probably, I wanna say, not less than 100 yards. So there was like the building of Michigan Magazine, mm -hmm. and then we're camped like in the parking lot of the magazine, magazine area, and there's a wood line. And behind that wood line is an 80 acre farm that was abandoned. And there was this brush pile that was probably wasn't 100 yards it was probably about 70 yards to the brush pile it was probably about five or five or eight feet tall something like that yeah it's, it's a large brush pile and um i'm sitting there and i see two sasquatch one follow the other go right into an area of the woods that i had just gone into earlier that day or the day before because of stick structure signs oh, wow. and i watched them kind of hunched over and run into there and i was like Oh my gosh. I'm like, John, get out here, you know. But he didn't see him because he was in the camper. Um, and so that was a little bit, that was a little uncomfortable that night, spending the night there. Oh, you know? I bet. What, I mean, what color were they? Could you One tell was, a male or a female? I couldn't or? tell male or female because they were running kind of the side back towards me. But um, they were probably, they must have been about seven or eight feet tall because they were hunched over and they were at least as tall as that power, that, that pile once they stood up. And one of them was a lighter color, like a clay color. Okay. And then the other one was brown. Okay. Um, let's talk about stick structures. Um, everybody has different theories. What do you guys think the stick structures are? Is it for cover, to sleep in overnight, um, I, marking I, territory? I think all of the above. I okay. think they're used for a lot of different things. Um, they're, I think they're used as a blind for okay. if they're going after prey or whatever, you know. A lot of times you'll see that type of a structure where you've got almost a lean-to effect along a road or an open path or whatever, and I think they're watching for deer. Okay, whatever. so deer is probably their primary meat source and maybe fish. And I, I think deer, in our previous time before BFRO, um, when we were between, like, you know, working with Bob Daigle and some of his people, um, we would meet with people, and basically they'd find deer on their property that the back strap was just taken off. So oh if they kill the deer, they grab it. Oh, what? Do you want to say something? No, they're, they're stomach eating. Right? They're stomach eating out too? Yeah, soft, okay. soft tissue. They would grab the back leg of a deer as it ran by, and they basically would spin it, and, and the leg would break. Wow. Know, right, and, or the hip joint or whatever. But one of the people, and this was northern Michigan, I can't remember exactly where, I want to say near Boyne Falls area. Okay. Uh, is that yeah, right? Yeah. Camp 10 Road, that was the name of the road. It was off of that. But there was a guy that had family farm, at least 100 acres, right? And he, um, there was a relationship between the family and the Sasquatch. They honored each other, respected each other, didn't bother each other. But as kids, this guy had seen Sasquatch many times, scared the bejeebers out of them. They would do gift exchanges. Um, but the one thing that surprised him was there was a wooded area that had been cut timbered yeah. timbered on the property and something had piled up timber 
wood, these cut trees, and made a path. And I don't remember how they wide all, it was. They were all in a parallel line. You know, they fell trees, they just fall in it. Okay. But they were all in a parallel line that, that the, they suspect the, the Bigfoots come along and straighten them up. Gotcha. Well, wow. and then there was like this wide to narrow pathway that would just went down to like maybe the width of what, three or four, four feet, five feet? Narrow, yeah. And, and as you went down this path, it you turned to the right and it dropped down and there was an overhang. So it dropped down and it was like a, um, a hewed out area where you, it was looked like something might sit there. And then as they would channel the deer down in there, that's what our thought is channel the deer and they'd go by and then they could just grab them but this this was a guy that had a marshy area swamp area that the trees were uprooted and flipped upside down and then you could see like where they would make um like a corral and wow. so i think that was more of their family area you know they even had a tree that's probably 20 feet tall uprooted and stuck point down in the ground oh my goodness I mean, now now, with that in mind, so having that kind of strength to do something like that, I've heard that here in Michigan, you know, Bigfoot really only top out at around eight, maybe nine feet. Um, you know anything about that? or Because um, I know down south, they're telling me they're 14. I have an account in Alabama right now with a 16-footer. Um, but everything I hear here in Michigan, they're eight or nine feet. Twelve is what I've heard okay. people say here in Michigan. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, we, I had a witness that was, I don't know how much of it was actually his mind or, you know, because every, he was so engulfed in everything with Sasquatch, right? And so, I, you know, you always take that with a grain of salt and go, okay, how much of this is real and how much isn't when you're, he, they're so enveloped in it. Um, but he had a 22-inch print. That he had casted. Wow, here in Michigan. Here in yes. Michigan. Awesome. Yeah. Good to know. So, we just casted that. Was a twenty-two? Um, yeah, down in Kentucky. So okay. that is that's good news. Yeah. Well, we also got a baby print through him that was five inches long, and it was the only. It was the smallest infant. Four. Four inches. Four inches. Um, it was the only infant print that anybody ever had, including, you know, the BFRO. Because I sent when I dropped out of the BFRO for personal reasons. Um, I sent all my stuff to Cliff. Okay. You know, so she had the largest cast collection probably wow. in the United States yeah. at the time. We have, we've got a, a baby squatch. Uh, I'm, did you see the picture of it that no. I have? No, not yeah, yet. Look for the picture. We didn't cast it. Um, we have a location where we figured there's a mother, a baby, and one or two adolescents because we've got footprints. We have four different footprints. And so that's what we're surmising at this point, but I will show you a picture of that. Okay, okay. that'd be great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so we, you know, we had all these experiences, but at that point, you know, I think, I can't remember if that was before, I don't think I'd had a sighting at that point when we were kind of doing that with Bob Dago. Um, and then when I came on board with the BFRO, I had somebody, I contacted somebody through them that had put up a report and I talked to him on the phone a number of times, and this would be Kalkaska area, Kalkaska okay. County. And the the one prior to that was Masaki, uh, Masaki County? Masaki. It's either that or Lake. No, it's Masaki County. Masaki. Um, okay. Which is just south. Now these two, this was interesting because it was right off of M66, right? And they're about 15 miles apart where these different oh, witnesses wow. were. 
And so the one guy that I'm not sure, you know, about 100%, let's say 80% or even 50%, if he had 50% reliable information, that's still a lot of information. Oh, for sure. Um, but so this other guy calls me in Kalkaska and, um, you know, we're talking and I said, well, he had been up with family and um, so we were talking and they, usually he's only up like maybe three or four weeks of, of the year and then, because um, he lives downstate. Hadn't been up in a year. Hadn't been up in a year and then all the family comes up for like 4th of July, right? So there's all this noise, all this stuff going on while well, everybody goes home and he's cleaning the cabin, power washing, and um, he gets rocks thrown at him. Well, his son was with him, who was like, I want to say he was 20. <laughs> so his son was with him, and the son was not a believer. And it, it, you can read about this on the report if you want to go okay. on, up to the BFRO part, uh, right. report. But um, So it's all public out there. But anyways, the son was not a believer, and so the dad thought the son was playing tricks. And so he goes, look, he's telling, yelling at him, like, quit throwing rocks at me. He's power washing this cabin. He's got a, um, he's got a generator and power washer going. So now you're talking mega noise. Right. And the people who have property in that area, it's like 40 acre plots. So it's not small plots, right? And so the ferns were, I'm not kidding, they were probably three feet tall. So anybody could hide back in the ferns. So he's power washing, all these rocks start coming at him. And... And uh, he goes looking for his son because he's not responding. Well, the son's sitting in a car listening to his music oh, on his phone. Oh, oh. So the, the son ain't around. And there's, like, no cell phone service out there, hardly. It's very barren out there. So, anyways, he calls me, you know, because we had, we had been talking and he was out there. And so, um, John, I never go meet somebody the first time by myself. And right, so, right. So John and I are, um, I had him go with me and we went out and met this fella. And then that night, so we took a walk around. I didn't see any, I didn't really see anything. I saw where the rocks were. Did we see one trip by the pond? No, and I, we weren't sure. It could have been, but nothing. Nothing definite. Yeah, nothing definite. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know, you know, and so. We go home, and that night at 10 o'clock at night, I get a phone call, and he's freaking out because the cabin is getting bombarded, and the son's freaking out. He's got all of his stuff. He goes from room to room, and wherever, whatever room he goes into, something slaps the wall on the outside. Oh, right? my I know. I got chills talking about it. And so he gets freaked out, so he puts all his stuff in the middle of the cabin, right? And... It's it's off the ground a bit, so it's about three and a half feet off the ground. Yeah, on a um, on a foundation, right? So, but the dad looks out the window and he's watching him run by the front. They've got a big front picture window, and he's oh, watching him no. go by, and he's freaking out. I said, "Listen." He said the head is taller than the window. Yeah, so, so it would have been eight foot so at least, right? Well, the window was the window itself was probably eight and a half feet off the ground at the very okay. top. Okay. And this creature was taller than that. Whoa. So I'm like, listen, you know, if they would have wanted you, they'd had you. Because yeah. you were out there, and they're just trying to tell you that this is their territory. And I actually made some phone calls to some other BFRO people. I'm like, what should I tell them to do? But I said, if you are really that concerned, call the police. Not that anybody can find you where you're at out there, but just call right. the police. Uh, I didn't suggest going outside, you know, but just, and I said, I'll come out tomorrow. So 
I had it out tomorrow and um, we had talked previously about how I wasn't sure after my first sighting, I didn't know if I really ever wanted to see another one. But as I was driving out to this guy's place, I was like in my mind and then talking in my car and by myself, um, like, okay, I think I'm ready. If, if you want to let me see you, so I'm kind of talking to the air, right? You want to let me see you, I'll, I'm okay with it. But here's the, here's the circumstances. I need to be in my car. And I said, I don't want to see you face to face. I don't, but okay, you know, and really in my heart, I didn't know what they were. I didn't know if they were, what kind of an animal they were. I didn't know if they were human, if they were, because they certainly have human characteristics, some of sure. them. And then, you know, are they a gorilla? Are they, what are they? I don't know. And so I wanted to respect them if they were human, you know, and, and because of my faith, I'm thinking they need Jesus if they're human, right? Yeah. And that was my reaction after I saw the ones in my own, like, oh my gosh, I've got to win them, win them to Jesus, right? <laughs> and, I, and then and it was really, I literally walked around after the first sighting and had to, it threw me off, threw me off balance because I, you think they're real, right? Mm -hmm. And then you see one and it blows your mind. Okay. Because you think they're real, but you don't know for sure. And then you see one and it changes everything. Wow. And then you think, what's my responsibility? And kind of like you feel a responsibility now, I felt a responsibility that if they're human, then I need to tell them about Jesus, sure. right? I understand. So anyways, that was after that. And then, so I kind of didn't want to see any. And when I'm traveling out to this guy's cabin, I'm like, okay, I think I can handle it. If I see one, I, if I see you, I can handle it. So I stopped. I was probably about maybe a quarter of a mile from this guy's house, the cabin. It was, and I stopped, there was a stick structure that looked like a lean-to, and I thought, well, that, that looks like something that they might, you know, use to hide or whatever, use as a cover. And so I got out of my car and I had a camera, and I just got out of the car, stood basically on the side of the two-track, stood there, snapped some pictures, got back in my car, and you know how you kind of got that routine, right? Mm -hmm. My car was still running. Shut the door, put my hand on the gear shift, other hand on the wheel, and look in my rear view mirror. And I saw this, it just, this huge body. <laughs> it's hard to even talk about. Passed by my rear view mirror.